You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are really glad that you're here. So let me start, and if I can, let me make two assumptions about all of us. Uh, the first is, is that everybody here has made at least one really bad decision in their life. Yes. Yeah? Okay. All right. And the second is, is that if you knew then what you know now, that things would be different. We all agreed on that? Okay. So I figured since we we're going to do that, I could tell you about one of my dumbest mistakes, and uh, I could give you an object lesson. So this is a laser disc. Now, we were coming out of the world of VHS, and uh, these things, when they came out, were about uh, 50 to 60 bucks per movie. And so it was, and I don't think I'm overselling this, the worst possible experience you could have in watching a movie. So here's how it would work, is that you would first um, take out this very minimalistic disc, and uh, you would pop it in, and then about 30 minutes later, as you're watching your movie, a turtle would appear. And the turtle was on its shell, and it would say, hey, it's time to flip me over. So it didn't matter how comfortable you were, you'd have to stop, get up, turn the lights on, and then flip the disc over, put it back in, and then start watching the movie again. But don't worry, because this is, this is the only disc, uh, this is Star Wars, because this is a two-disc movie, the turtle would appear again. And, you know, if you're watching like The Godfather, the turtle would appear like six times uh, because of this. Now, uh, when I was going to buy the LaserDisc player, um, I used my powers of persuasion to get a friend of mine to buy one with me. And uh, which he did, and it's been 30 years, and he still hasn't forgiven me. Uh, but we went to, he and I, we both went to Brandsmart, the one at Sawgrass Mills. And, uh, and, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not a big fan of Brandsmart. It is absolute chaos to save $10. And, and by the way, every time I'm there, I feel like I'm committing a crime. Uh, because, you know, you get there and you're like, hey, I'd like to buy this thing. And then the guy's like, okay, I'm going to write down this little number on this piece of paper. You're going to take it to my friend. You're going to give him the money. Then you're going to go outside, go around to the docks, around the back. Then the guy's going to give you a box and you just get out of here. Like, what? This is like how drug deals go down at the Port of Miami. Like, what are we doing here? And uh, so I just wanted to buy a radio. Uh, and so anyway, so <laughs> now we're in line, me and my buddy, we're in line to buy the laser discs, the laser disc players. And, and he says, hey, I read that they're going to put movies out um, on discs that are the size of CDs. And he says this to me. And, and I say, yeah, are you going to take your flying car to go buy one? And, uh, and he's like, yeah, it's such a stupid idea. And then we bought the Laserdisc player. And uh, you can imagine six months later when DVDs came out, that's when he stopped talking to me altogether. And uh, now, you know, most people... And, and it's okay to do this. Most people keep their accomplishments on the wall to say like, hey, these are the good things I've done in my life. And that's okay. Um, 
I, I personally don't do that. I have no idea where my undergrad degree is. Um, I think it's somewhere in my house. I was looking for a wrench the other day and I found my ordination when they, you become a pastor, they give you like a certificate. So in case the pastor police ever show up, you can show them you have a certificate. And, um, but I was I'm like, oh, there's the wrench. Oh, there's my certificate. So, but I don't, I don't keep all that stuff. Um, but I keep the laser disc about five feet from my desk for the last 20 years uh, because I, I want the reminder of what happens when I'm unwise. And there's this saying that experience is a wonderful teacher if you can afford the tuition. And I'm telling you that there is something better than experience being your teacher, and that is learning from the experience of others. And the reason why is because you can get the same lesson without the pain uh, and the regret of going through it. So we find ourselves in message number 44, if you could believe it, in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We only have, I think, four or five messages left, and um, then we're gonna, who knows what we're going to do after this. At this point, I've been in the Gospel of Matthew so long, I don't know if I know anything else uh, besides that. But, uh, and we've been giving you the chronology of what's happening. It is about 7 a.m., 6 to 7 a.m. on the day of the Passover. Jesus has been arrested and they've handed him a death sentence, but there is a wild card that could get him out of this situation. The governor, Pontius Pilate, likes to release one prisoner at every Passover. And so, and Pilate wants to release Jesus, and we're going to see that, that he wants to release Jesus, but the religious leaders aren't going to have it. We're going to meet another character in our time together, a guy whose name is Barabbas. And, um, the people are going to be given a choice. Do you want Jesus or Barabbas to be free? Who are you going to choose? And, and here's what um, I want us to think about in our time together. And we're going to drill down on this in a little bit, but I just want to drop it here in the beginning so you can start to think about it as we start working our way through the text. But here's what I want you to think about, that we are Barabbas. We're the guilty one. And Jesus is taking the punishment that we're due. And when you realize that, that we are Barabbas, it will change the way you read this story. It will change the way you make decisions in your life. It, it will, it'll change how you talk. It'll change um, what you do, how you do it, how you comport yourself, simply because you realize that Jesus is standing in your place for every decision, every sin, every rebellion against God that we've committed. Listen, in short, it will change us when we realize that we're the ones that are in Barabbas's place. So we're gonna start in Luke or in um, Matthew chapter 23, uh, Matthew 27, starting in verse uh, 15. Here's what we read. He says, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at the time they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. If you don't want to make terrible choices in your life and you don't want to choose Barabbas, you want to choose Jesus, there's three things that we're going to talk about today that you need to do. Number one is this, is that I need to live for an audience of one. Live for an audience of one. Let me set the scene for you. Pontius Pilate, the governor of the region, is in town for Passover. The reason he's in town for Passover is essentially for more security. Uh, the, the Roman governor 
in that area didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in a city that was called Caesarea that was on the coast. And if you come with us to Israel, we are going to land in Tel Aviv. And the first place that we're going is to Caesarea uh, Maritime, which is the one on, on the ocean. And uh, we're going to see Herod's palace um, in that what w- was there. And so but the reason that they were in Jerusalem was for more security. Typically during the feast days is when riots would break out. So they would have extra security to keep things in line. Now, because Pilate wanted to keep the more extreme groups pacified, he would release a prisoner every year at Passover. That's why there's a crowd at Pilate's door first thing in the morning. This would be friends, family members, associates, all who are there to plead their case for the person that they care about to be released. And in this case, we meet a guy named Barabbas. Uh, Now, I don't want to nerd out too much, but I'll tell you this, that uh, the New Testament, as, as many of you know, was originally written in the Greek language. And there are thousands of manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. And about many of the ones for the Gospel of Matthew don't have his name listed as just Barabbas. They have his name listed as Jesus Barabbas. Now, that shouldn't be a shock to us because Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew was a very common name, and it, it's, a, it's a variation of the word Yehoshua, uh, which means Joshua. So that's Jesus' name is, is a variation of the name Joshua, named after the Joshua of old. The early church father Origen in the second century talked about and had a whole thing that he wrote about, about Barabbas' name being Jesus Barabbas, which makes sense as to why Pilate says, do you want me to release to you Barabbas? or Jesus who was called Christ. He would just say Barabbas or Jesus. But if, if his, both of their names are Jesus, it would be Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas is a, um, the, Hebrew name, the Hebrew word. Uh, it's two Hebrew words. One is bar, which means son of. Abba means father. So Jesus, son of the father, or Jesus who is called the Messiah. Now, we get a little more insight into who Barabbas is in the Gospel of Mark, and I'll read it to you. It's in your notes. It says, Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. But there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels, and they had committed murder in the rebellion. And then we get this detail, that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now this is really important. Because six days earlier, the crowd were all laying palm branches down and saying that Jesus was the Messiah. Six days later, they're saying, crucify him and give us Barabbas. And the point that I think is so important for us is that if you live your life to please a crowd, you're going to be very frustrated because crowds are incredibly fickle. They change in a moment. And listen, in the culture in we live, what people love and what people hate, that's changing on an almost daily basis. And listen, you want to know, my kids are like this. They change all the time. A few months ago, I went to the supermarket and I brought home a pound of chicken salad. And my kids went crazy. I mean, like piranha on this chicken salad and devoured it in like an hour. So probably about a few days later, I go back to the store and I get another package of chicken salad. And I mean, you know, they knocked it out in about a day and a half. And I'm like, okay, so this is a thing now. So I go back the next week and I buy another pound of chicken salad. It rotted in my fridge and I had to throw it out. And I'm like, God, what happened? You guys love chicken salad. And uh, we just weren't feeling it. You weren't feeling it. And, uh, and then, so now months go by. I go to the store again. I buy two pounds of chicken salad. 
mostly for myself, but whatever. That's not part of the story. These kids, over the course of two hours, destroyed these, uh, this chicken salad, wiped it out completely. And like, Dad, when you go to the store, can you buy more chicken salad? And I said, yes, in three months. <laughs> and they're like, why? What? No, because I know how you people are. And by you people, I mean the, my children whom I love dearly. And uh, because it's like, you're like, you love it today and tomorrow, you'll, eh, whatever, you know. But listen, that's just how it is. Living for an audience means that you are orienting your life around them and what pleases them. Um, living your life for an audience of one means that you are orienting your life around pleasing God above anyone and everyone else. And you are actively seeking. In a famous passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, the writer of Hebrews says, but it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, here's what I know from talking to thousands of people um, over the years, and once again, also from observing my own weird behavior at times, is that we get into a jam and we pray once. We read the Bible once. Um, you know, we, we seek God once. We get wise counsel once. I mean, listen, once isn't, seeking God. That's checking off a box. I want you to notice what this passage says, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does it mean? What does it look like to diligently seek God? Well, let me explain it this way. A few months ago, I decided to take a day off from my eating plan. I don't like the phrase cheat day. I just don't like that. I don't know if it's just because I'm a New England Patriots fan and we like to keep things on the up and up, as you know. And, um, but a little rumbling there. It's okay. It's all right. Well, but I took a day off and because what I really wanted was some Reese's Pieces. That is my favorite candy of all time. It's like M&M's except a thousand times better because it's filled with peanut butter. And then M&M had the audacity to come out with their own peanut butter and it's garbage. All right. It's pure trash. The, the Reese's one. And I've loved it ever since. I've loved Reese's Pieces ever since I saw E.T. in the theater. I mean, it's like me and E.T. were vibing in that moment. Like, yes, I'm with you. Anyway, and he's like, phone home. And I'm like, I'm going with you. And so, anyway, so, um, so now I have a secret stash of Reese's Pieces at home. Unfortunately, I came home from the office one day and I saw the package on top of the garbage. And I'm like, what happened here? And my two youngest kids are like, Dad, you're never going to believe it. We were rifling through the, uh, the pantry looking for a snack. We found an entire unopened bag of Reese's Pieces. And I'm like, that was mine! I mean, I love you. Have whatever you want. Um, and so anyway, so I decide that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get some, but I don't want to make a big... So I tell my wife, hey, I'm going to go to the store and pick up a couple of things. And she's like, Bob, you're so tired. Don't worry about it. We'll go tomorrow. I'm like, here, it's really my pleasure. And, and, you know, you shouldn't put off until tomorrow things that could be done today. And so, uh, so I go to Publix, and I go down the candy aisle, and they are sold out. And I am just, I can't even believe what's happening in my life right now. And, then, and now I've already agreed to buy all this dumb stuff that my wife told me to buy. So now I get no Reese's Pieces, and I got to buy all this stuff. And so, and half of the stuff she wanted me to buy was frozen. And you know how it works when you buy the frozen stuff. You're on the clock because you don't want it to be in weird shapes by the time you get home. So anyway, I get all the stuff. I'm on the clock. But then I realize, you know who would never fail me? Walgreens. 
So a couple blocks from, from my Publix is a Walgreens. I stop at Walgreens. I run inside. Sure enough, there's more Reese's Pieces than I would even know what to do with. So I grab two giant bags of Reese's Pieces and I get in line. There's one guy working the counter and, you know, 80 people in line. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I got my money together. I put the two Reese's Pieces things. I put 20 bucks on the counter. This is all I want. How much is it? I got to go. And the guy's like, whoa, man. Uh, hold on, bro. Do you have a Walgreens rewards card? And I'm like, no. How is it, po- is it possible in the year of our Lord 2023 for a man to be able to buy candy without being roped into another reward situation? Well, the answer is n- to that question is no. So I had to sign up for the reward thing real quick. And then I finally pay, get all my stuff. And then all, the stuff is all like, you know how it is when you, get, you take too long with the frozen, it's all in weird shapes. And it's like, what happened to all this? I, mean, I don't know, care. I don't even know what to tell you about the freezer situation at Publix. And, uh, and I don't want her to know that I made another stop on the way. Listen, so when, 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 when the writer of Hebrews says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, it's not a passive seeking. It's not a, hey, I'll just swing by and pick one up just in case they have it. No, it's if you live with that kind of intensity, for God, you're going to live a blessed life. But listen, if you put that kind of energy into pleasing the crowd, I'm telling you, they will just as easily turn on you because they'll think you're the Messiah on Sunday and by Friday, they'll want you crucified. God isn't like that. He's good and he loves you. That term diligently seek means to carefully investigate and search out. That is that you want to know what God is up to and what he wants you to do. And when you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to find him. That's the kind of person that God rewards. Well, look what happens as they continue. It says, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And they all answered and said, let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And if you pause there and give me your attention, If I don't want to pick Barabbas every time, what do I do? Well, you got to live for an audience of one. The second thing is you need to make decisions based on conviction. Now, I want you to remember what I told you last time if you were here, that Pilate, while a powerful politician, was in a lot of hot water with Rome because he had basically three uh, riots that had happened under his watch in in, uh, Israel, and he was told by the Roman emperor, one more, and it's over. So this is why... The passage reads, when he saw that a tumult was rising, when he saw a riot beginning to form, he said, hey, forget it, Um, I'm done with this. In fact, in the Gospel of John chapter 18, it says it this way, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. And whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Pilate didn't want to crucify Jesus, but he was going to be out of a job if he allowed the crowd to get out of control. So he washes his hands of the situation, which is, this is where we get that phrase from, and decides, hey, it's not my problem anymore. The challenge is, it is his problem. 
And it's our problem because every single person has to answer the question, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And there's only two answers. We're either going to crown him or we're going to crucify him. And sometimes we think that we can ride the fence somehow, but we have to decide. Being a disciple of Jesus is about setting a new priority where everything in my life is second to my walk with God. And that relationship with God that I have begins to frame everything else in my life. So I was driving through my neighborhood this week, and uh, it was one of these moments where everybody had their garage door open. And one of the things, you know what I noticed in every garage door that I drove by was some piece of exercise equipment. You know what I didn't see one time when I was driving through? A person using the aforementioned exercise equipment. And man, it was like I saw uh, clothes drying on top of treadmills. I saw, you know, Christmas boxes on top of elliptical machines. One guy, I don't know what this was all about. He had like this giant map of the world on top of his Bowflex machine. I'm like, where are you sailing to, Magellan? Uh, you know, you have a scooter. Like, I don't know, you ain't going too far. Anyway, some people don't know who Magellan is. Uh, some folks need to read a book. Uh, anyway, but now, because wh- what happens is, and we all know how it works, is that you get excited. You know, you're watching a late night infomercial because you're just sitting there drinking a Sprite, eating a bag of Doritos, and the infomercial comes on. You're like, oh, I could do that. And then just, you got to get all the orange stuff off your fingers and you start dying. You know, not me. I'm saying not somebody else. And, uh, and so you get the machine and then you get the machine and you put the machine together and then putting the machine together, that's the workout. That's the first workout. Then you're like, I'm so tired of putting this out. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Then the, the next day, you work out. And you're like, man, this feels so good. I feel awesome. I'm going to do this every day. And then the second day you wake up, and you're like, well, I'm not going to work out today. You gotta let, i got to let my muscles breathe, obviously. That's just science. And then the third day, you're like, you know what? I'm fine with how I look. I'm fine. I'm just going to buy bigger shirts. And so... But this is what happens with our walk with God, is that God is the most important person in my life until something else comes along, and then he gets kind of relegated to the garage. And real discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, is about setting Jesus as the priority because it's an entirely new way to live. Listen, choosing Barabbas never leads us where we want to go. But it takes a little bit of wisdom to see that, to kind of look down the road and see that it's not going where I ultimately want it to. Because the Barabbas way might look enticing, but I'm telling you, it doesn't lead it. They may even look similar at first, but they're, they don't lead where we want it to go. The book of Proverbs talks about three things, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. The word understanding is a word that sometimes we, we don't get, especially in the, in the biblical sense. The, the word understanding, and, and I put the passage in Proverbs 1-2, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive words of understanding. The word, you might want to circle that in your notes. The word understanding is this Hebrew word, bina, B-I-N-A. And here's what it means. It means noticing differences. That's what it means. It means that you can look at two things and notice the differences in where one is going to go, one road versus the other. And, and it's this ability to see what others don't see. Now, I'm not even going to ask. I asked this at 9.45 and like three people raised their hand. So, at the, so I don't embarrass myself. I'm going to tell you this. Maybe you've seen the, B, uh, the BBC show Sherlock. Maybe. I'll get that in just a second. I ordered a pizza. Um, they're just seeing it. Tell them I'm close by. And so 
Now, if you saw the show Sherlock, which, by the way, is a fantastic show, I would just encourage you, if you do watch it, you got to watch it in sub with subtitles because sometimes those Brits, man, they get excited and the accent comes in. I can't understand a word. Like, I speak English, but I don't speak that kind of English. <laughs> I speak American. And uh, so, anyway, and so, now... Sherlock is my oldest daughter's favorite show, I mean, and, and it is brilliant. There was a time that I could walk into my house at any time after school, and Sherlock would be playing on the TV. But you know what happens is whenever you've seen kind of these mystery shows before, uh, you watch it again, and you're like, come on, man, can't you just figure out who the killer is? It's so obvious. But when you're watching it the first time, and I'll just tell you this, I'm not one of these people that's trying to figure out the show before the show wants to reveal to me who did this. I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm just along for the ride. Like, oh, the show, they want to show me. And then you get to the end, and I'm like, I'm totally shocked, like at the appropriate moment. My wife, on the other hand, is the person who can figure out everything. Oh, I know who did it. Like 10 minutes into the show, the the credits have just run. And she's like, got it. I know who did it. How? We haven't even met all the people yet. And And she'll tell me, we'll get to the end. She's like, Bob, didn't you realize that the killer was the guy right in the beginning? He was holding a can of Coke, but he was missing a finger, and that was the whole thing, was the guy with the, the finger. What were you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. I saw that. And I'm like, man, I haven't had chicken fingers in weeks. <laughs> and so I just, anyway. <laughs> but listen, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom, understanding, allows you to be able to see things that other people don't see. And by the way, this isn't just a blanket gift. This is a gift. One, we develop it as we walk with God. But you know what the cool thing is? And you can just write this down. In James chapter 1, verse 5, here's the promise that God makes us, is that if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask, and that he will give to us freely and without finding fault. So if you're in a situation where you lack wisdom, you can pray and ask God to give you wisdom, and he'll give it to you. You see, this is, and the wisdom comes from saying no to Barabbas and yes to Jesus. And listen, if you've been walking with God for any length of time, this is why people look at your life and they're like, man, why is your life different? Why is the way you live so different? And, and why is it working out better than the way, you know, everybody else that works here, everybody else that goes to school here, everybody else in our family or circle of friends? And, and why is that? And it's because they've spent their entire life choosing Barabbas and you're choosing Jesus and walking down a different road. And this is what makes this scene so powerful because Barabbas was guilty of multiple crimes and was about to be crucified for his sins. But then we read in verse 26, they released Barabbas and then delivered Jesus to be crucified. Barabbas was guilty of sins and was going to be crucified for his sins until Jesus took his place. He got to go free because someone else paid the penalty for his sins. And that's why we have to understand that we are Barabbas. Jesus stood in our place and died for us, and now we get to live free from everything that had previously imprisoned us. So we're going to look at verse 27. Here's where we're going to close it. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took a reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. And if you pause there, last thing I want to tell you, if you say, I don't want to choose Barabbas, I want to make good choices. What do I do? Um, You live for an audience of one. We know that. You make decisions based on conviction. And the third thing is 
is that I need to do hard things. I tell my kids this all the time. The goal of life isn't about getting out of doing hard things. It's about being able to do hard things. Listen, I didn't mention it a a moment ago, but I want to talk about this for a second. At the very end of verse 26, it says, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What does that mean to be scourged? Romans had three levels of scourging based on your crime. Um, in the Latin, it was, the first one was called uh, fustigatio, and that was, it wasn't too severe. It was more of a warning, and they would kind of rough you up a little bit so that you would stay in line. Um, the second one was called flagellatio, and this is where it was a pretty severe beating. And then the third one was verberatio, and this was a horrible beating associated with capital punishment that usually ended in crucifixion. And the way that the Romans would do the scourging is they would use something that was called the cat of nine tails. This thing had a short wooden handle, and at the end of the handle were several leather strands. And then uh, each strand was tipped with sharp pieces of metal or sharp pieces of bone. And what they would do is they would take the person that was being scourged, they would tie their hands, they would post them uh, by the wrist over his head, and then sometimes they would take them off the ground a little bit and hang them off the ground so their feet would dangle and their body would be taut. And then once they did that, they would take the cat of nine tails and begin whipping this person. So the cat of nine tails would wrap around their body and then they would start yanking. And this is where uh, just their flesh would start getting ripped open completely. Muscles were lacerated, veins and arteries were uh, torn open. It was not uncommon Uh, historians teach us, for kidneys, spleen, and other organs to be exposed and or slashed. Most men, many men, died of scourging before they they were even taken out for execution. Now, I tell you all of this because you need to understand that Jesus has taken this beating and few men survive, but he is still standing. And now you understand what Pilate is meaning when he says these words in John chapter 19. Look at what it says. It says, Pilate then went out again and said to them, behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to him, behold, the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw them, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, you take him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. Pilate sees Jesus still standing after a beating that would kill most men. And he says, behold the man. This is a real man. He's still standing after everything that's happened to him. Now it makes, gives us understanding as to why, and we'll meet him, a guy named Simon from an area called Cyrene, who has to help Jesus carry the cross because he, just, he can't carry it the whole way as he takes it up a hill that uh, on a hill that is called Calvary, or in Hebrew is called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Now, I want to close with this, with a passage in the New Testament that gives us a commentary on the cross and what we read on the crucifixion of Jesus. Look at what it says um, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, we also Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Listen, here's what the writer says. He says that Jesus looked at the cross with joy and that we should remember Jesus when we're going through difficulty lest we become discouraged. And you're like, how in the world could he look at this level of beating with joy? Not because it was joyous in the moment. No, instead, because the joy is in what it produced. The ancient Greeks had a race uh, that they called the pentathlon. It was five competitions. It involved running, jumping, discus, javelin, and wrestling. Now, the wrestling is not like you would find in high school or college. Uh, the wrestling is probably closer to MMA fighting because these guys wore these gloves that were made to protect their hands but disfigure their opponent. So now when you look at it and saying, looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of God, and then he says this, consider him who endured so much hostility from sinners lest you become weary because you haven't resisted to bloodshed. He's saying this, he's saying, Jesus ran his race and was victorious. But listen, you're being discouraged because of the opposition you're facing, but you're not even at the point where you're fighting back punches from people who are trying to disfigure you. And by the way, I didn't mention this earlier, but that word, he says, to run your race, the Greek word is agon, where we get our English word agony. The idea is this, yeah, the, rain is, the, the, the race is painful because life is painful. And anyone who tells you that life doesn't involve pain has not lived a life that's worth living. But the challenge that we face, listen, this is the challenge, is that we live in a culture that has never had a lower pain threshold than the current culture that we are living in now. You know, in past cultures, um, especially when it was an agrarian culture, kids that were eight, nine, 10 years old were in charge of their family flocks. I mean, your flock in your family, that was your entire livelihood. And kids that were eight, nine, and 10 were in charge of the lives of the, the flock. I mean, now we live in a culture where eight, nine, they can't even walk the family dog um, without a problem. Listen, previous generations in this country fought wars. I mean, kids that were eight, nine, 18, 19, 20, kids that were 18, that's who defeated Nazism 80 years ago, was kids that were 18, 19, and 20, and saved millions of people's lives. And today, kids that are 18, 19, and 20, they need safe spaces. They, they can't, they have to censor speech with things that they don't disagree with it because any disagreement in speech is, is, is violence. Like, no, someone saying something you disagree with is not violence. Getting punched in the face, that's violence. And there's a big difference between someone saying, so I, I didn't agree with that. Like, oh, I didn't know I was verbally punched in the face. Like, no, you're just weak. Um, and so I'm sorry. Um, Listen, and I wish, I wish this wasn't true, but it is absolutely the truth. The only way your faith grows is through testing. You know, I wish I could get ripped watching other people work out. If I had one wish, that would be my world peace? No. My dream is that I could eat whatever I want and, wa and get ripped watching other people work. I, I would love to sit on my couch and watch the CrossFit games. Or they, they used to do these things. I don't know if they still do it. They used to do these things called the ESPN Strongman Competition, where these guys would lift giant tires and rip them in half. It was incredible. I just wish I could sit on my couch with a pizza and a box of donuts and then just start to feel, feel this incredible surge 
as my muscles would begin to bulge out of my shirt. And, people, and then people would walk up to me. They're like, you are so muscular. Do you happen to watch a lot of weightlifting? <laughs> well, yes, I do. And so, and, and listen, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to eat healthy and lose weight. I'm doing 100 crunches a day. They're mostly Nestle's crunches, so don't get excited. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but you know this, right? We all know this. In lifting weights, the, 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 we on, the muscles only grow when they're challenged, when they're put under stress. And the same way your faith grows when we accept the challenges that God gives us and we allow God to stretch us because we rarely grow when things are great. That's why none of your friends have ever come back from a vacation at Disney World and be like, man, I had such a spiritual breakthrough when I was in the Magic Kingdom. I was thinking about God's kingdom. I'm like, no, you weren't. You were buying a $45 burger. That's what you were doing. And so, but the moments of greatest growth in your life, and listen, this is true for me, it's true for you too. The moments of greatest growth have usually been coupled with the moments of deepest pain. But those moments of deep pain, in this weird juxtaposition, it has allowed us, it has brought the ability to experience the deepest joy. You know, last month, my wife and I, we celebrated 26 years of holy matrimony. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very easy. My wife is a knockout. It's really easy for me to be married to her. Her being married to me, that's the real feat of will and strength. All right? Um, and so, but I can tell you this, year 26, this was our best year. And I thought year 25 was our best year, but year 26 was our best year. But you know what made year 26 so good? Is because we had years that weren't that good. And we decided to work through them and grow through them. And we started, we learned hard lessons and confronted issues and worked through them. It was very painful. And that's why I tell you, I, I wish it wasn't true. But the only way you get to the real deep joy is by going through the hard roads. Or maybe if we can borrow the language of the writer of Hebrews 12, the only way that you get to resurrection is through the road of crucifixion and burial. So that's, why the encouragement is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus suffered and he suffered well and he saw the blessing that came to fruition from not giving up. So what am I asking you to do as we close? I'm asking you to do hard things. That don't give up because things get difficult. Instead, good things come from persevering. So instead of bailing on your marriage, maybe you just say, no, you know what, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna dig in, the two of us, and we aren't giving up. And instead of just kind of hopping from job to job, maybe you decide, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig in and I'm going to build a career that I can be proud of. And man, instead of cutting people out of your life, oh, I disagreed with them, I'm cutting them out of my life. No, maybe instead, maybe friendships are more important than you being right all the time. And instead of giving up on God's plan for your life because you can't see the immediate benefit, what if we had the wisdom and understanding to keep going? Because there is a harvest of blessing that comes if we don't give up. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, for that promise, that reality, that you invite us to serve you, to walk with you, to even do the hard things. And as we do, you're going to meet us because you did the hardest thing when you died for us and you gave us a model that we can keep going, that there's joy beyond the difficulty that we're facing. So Lord, for those of us who are in the middle of it right now, help us. And those of us that are coming out on the other side of the difficulty, help us to see with wisdom what you've been doing in our lives through the process. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen.
Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.